0: Father, we thank you that our hope does not find a home in this world. That there are so many temptations, so many areas, so many places that are fighting for our, our hope. There are places in our own flesh that seek hope in other places. But we, we stamp our hope we place our hope we thrust our hope in jesus christ alone through jesus christ we have been forgiven of sins and we have been it is forever settled eternally secure in the heavens so thank you for the hope that we have and thank you that it's a living hope it's active our hope would be dead it would be useless it would be meaningless if jesus christ had not raised up from the grave We thank you that right now at your right hand there is a victorious and risen Savior fighting on our behalf. What a comfort it is to have a captain who fights for his people, to have a shepherd who looks after the sheep. The hope we have, God, it is what binds us together, it is why we gather. Help us to never forsake gathering together to declare the resurrected Jesus Christ and may it shape us as we go out each day faithfully with the gospel. Thank you for this time in singing. God, we're about to open your word. It is the gift that you've given us. But oh, how clear it is, even in my own experience, that unless you come and speak to us, unless you come and, and feed us, we will not be able to receive this word. So speak to us, Lord. Prepare our hearts for your word. Help us, help us be able to look at this, these words and that it not fall flat. But shape us into faithful and holy Christians in the world through your word today. We lean on you. We depend on you to work now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you are three or four years old, feel free to head right over here to Miss Marcella, Miss Lindsay, and they will take you. If you are three or four, please head that way. And if you are not three or four years old, let's open the Word together. If you have a Bible, let's let's get to uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. If you're not quite sure where the book of Ephesians is, that's okay. Look in the Look in the book, or look in the Bible that's closest to you in the seat back, and the table of contents will give you a page number there. So let's find Ephesians together, and I want to welcome up Debbie Ellington, and Debbie is going to read our passage uh, for us this morning, but I'm going to give you a second to find it. So Ephesians chapter 1, where we'll be today, and we're going to be in verse 15. So Ephesians 1, verse 15.
1: For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all.
0: Amen. Thank you. So I have known Amanda Nicole Moriarty Poole for about nine and a half years. She is my wife of seven years and the mother of my four children. Currently the one that we've all been hearing for the last two minutes screaming is my third. I recognize that scream from anywhere on the planet. Uh, I first met Mandy at the crab trap in Destin in the late spring of 2009. At the time, she had long blonde hair, she had a gray crab trap t-shirt on with khaki shorts and white shoes, and, shir- and, and her hair, you ladies do this, I don't have any experience in this area, um, her hair was half up and half down, you know what I'm talking about, where you do the thing, but there's still down behind it, is that what, half up, half down, right, that's the phrase, yeah, okay, thank you, I'm going to take credit for that, um, yeah, but the bottom line is that she was mighty fine, uh, and, and I knew nothing about Mandy nine and a half years ago, but then came that day next to the soup kitchen at the Crab Trap, and just the setting here is I'm wearing the most flamboyant flowered shirt in the history of everywhere. If you've ever been to the Crab Trap, it shocks me when customers are like, can I get one of those? No, you shouldn't want to, but, but they do. And so I'm wearing this horribly sweaty, stained, flowered shirt, and I asked her somewhere around 10.30 as we're cleaning up the, the, the restaurant. I said, hey, uh, will, you, will you go out with me? Uh, and by the sheer mercy of the living God, she said yes. And so we spent the day at the beach and we went to Dewey Destin's, for those of you who are from here, uh, that night and we had an incredible time uh, and from there, day by day, I have got to know this woman. Some of the first few months, in fact, were uh, of getting to know her were, were really, really hard. Uh, it was a little rare. We, we learned hard things about one another and they were very difficult and so the first few months of our relationship was very rocky it was very uncomfortable, it, we had to adjust quite a bit. Unlike many of the other relationships or friendships that we often have, the hard stuff came immediately and some of the, the rest and the, and the chemistry came later. Uh, but I praise God for that now, because it taught us so much about each other from, from an immediate perspective. Now a decade has gone by, and I feel like I know my wife pretty well. She's not too fond of onions, she hates the word cusp. So that there's ammo. She hates the word cusp. If you use the phrase, kill him with kindness, she may kill you first. She's, she's honest. She is, she's fair. She's full of compassion. She somehow enjoys pregnancy. Uh, and she's gifted, extremely gifted with kids. She, she loves game nights, but she loves quality time with me even more. She's passionate about business but humble enough to grow. She loves to laugh and she is the most ticklish person that you will meet. She's desperate for God and she wants more of him but will admit that it's hard to find time with him as a mother and even when she does have time to know what to do with that time as a mother. I've met very few people who handle change as well as she has over the last seven years we've gone through so many lefts and rights and ups and downs, and she has been so loyal. She, my wife, is exceedingly unique, and I feel like I know her very well. And yet, there are those of you sitting here today that are very politely chuckling at me because I am in many ways also a man who barely knows my wife. Some of you here today have been married longer than I've been breathing and you have known your spouse three to four to five to six times longer than I have and and you know this that a guy for a guy like me though I know my wife there is much more to know about her there are more things to discover about her there are things that both joyful experiences and painful experiences we're going to bring out in us that I have not been able to see. I can't forecast how I'm going to know my wife more later. There are sides to this woman that I have yet to see. And, and of course, the same is is true in the opposite direction. There are things about me that she does not yet know. There are things about me that I don't even know. And so don't you know that this is the same The same thing is true in all of our relationships in our lives whether it's our family those closest to us our our friends or whomever if the relationship that we're talking about is healthy there will be more of that relationship to come and in all places and with all people combined perhaps the truest the ultimately truest place is when it comes to god himself see i can say by the grace of god by the grace of God alone, that I know God. He is my father and I am his son. And, and the same is true of many of you here today. You know God. You are his child. There are things about God. There are experiences you've had with God where you know him. There are wonderful things, wonderful moments that you can even think of. But at the very same time, you can never know enough about God see I'm I'm able to be exhausted God entirely knows me there's nothing about me from before time began to at the end of time that God doesn't know about me but how opposite is it in the other way around I can never ever ever exhaust the depths of knowing God and so this morning We're going to be back in the book, we're back in in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And he's praying for them. And he's praying for for them in this sort of way. You know God, but I'm praying that you will go deep in your knowledge of God. That you'll grow more and more and more in knowing God. So let's look back at the text. We see in verse 15 and 16 that these Ephesians, they have believed in Jesus. They They are Christians. And Paul is grateful for that. He says, I, I do not cease giving thanks for you. Their salvation makes him happy. But just like any good spiritual parent, Paul not only thanks God for them, but he prays for them. He knows that there is room for growth within them. And, and look at how he prays. We saw Debbie read this just a second ago. Ephesians 1, 17. His prayer is that the, the God Of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened so let me stop there paul is pleading with god god the father to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation now depending on what translation of the bible you have it maybe it says a spirit But my argument would be, and we can chat about this, I don't have time right now, but I think that Paul is talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Paul has the Trinity in mind. God the Father of the Son is praying for the Spirit. Now, this is interesting. Because what Paul is not saying is that the Ephesians don't have the Spirit at all. We learned this two weeks ago from Pastor David, that when you believe in Jesus, when you say Jesus Christ is Lord, God sends his spirit inside of us right now if you are a believer it's hard to tell sometimes right it doesn't always feel this way but if you are a believer God's spirit lives in you and what a blessing Paul says and what a promise so if that's not what Paul's talking about because that's he's already said that in, in, in Ephesians 1 13 and 14 what is Paul talking about why would Paul be praying for the spirit if they already have the spirit does that make sense well, look at how he describes the spirit in this moment. He calls him the spirit of wisdom and revelation, of, of revelation. What Paul is doing here is he's describing who the spirit is, what he's like. He is the spirit who has wisdom. He is the spirit who is in charge of revelation. He is the source of wisdom. He is the source of revelation. He, Paul is asking that God would give the Spirit, to us in these sorts of ways, in these qualities for us as Christians. Now this word wisdom is a little funky for me. Because this is not just any sort of wisdom. Paul's not necessarily talking about the kind of wisdom about how to grow your money or to build an excellent house. Those are good things. Those are wise things. That's that's a very healthy way of using the word wise but think about it being really good with money or being able to build a house those are gifts of wisdom that God gives to anybody both Christians and non-Christians right you can in fact hate God and be the best contractor in town that's possible you can be wise and yet hate God that's one layer of understanding wisdom but that's not what we're talking about that's not the kind of wisdom We're talking about what Paul is talking about is a unique, ongoing, prayer-induced, spirit-given wisdom. This is the sort of wisdom that's related to being able to see and understand God's plan in the world. We learned this over several weeks, uh, over the past month, that God has always had a plan, since before the world began, to display, to showcase, to blast His glory and his power through what? Through his son, Jesus. Jesus, listen to me, if you are not a believer, listen to me. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear this. This is what the Bible says. Jesus is the center of history. Everything before him pointed to him and everything after him points back to him. He is the reason for everything. The story of redeeming us. The story of making us whole again as humans comes through Jesus and it gives God glory. And so God has put all of the universe's attention on his son, Jesus. Therefore, listen, this is really important. We want to define this word right. Wisdom for Paul is being able to see that God has done all of this through his son and and, and wisdom is responding well to that. Wisdom is responding to the fact that Jesus is the center of all things. So you see this in your notes. Wisdom equals living according to Jesus' lordship over all things. You want to talk about being wise the way that Paul is talking about being wise. If Christ is dominating your worldview, it will change the way you live. God may bless you. He may give you a ton of something. Maybe it's a ton of money, maybe it's a ton of kids, maybe it's a ton of influence. All of those things that God, again, he will give that to all sorts of people, both Christians and non-Christians. That's what we would call his common grace. But the difference for us is when Christ is Lord of my heart, I pivot those blessings for his glory. That is true wisdom. And so I am unwise if if there's aspects of my life, for example, marriage. Or, or fatherhood. If I am abandoning the lordship of Jesus as a parent, I am exceedingly unwise in the way that I'm living. Even if my kids happen to do well in life, it doesn't matter. If Jesus' lordship doesn't infiltrate everything that I do, I am a fool. That's what Paul is praying for, and that is what the Spirit grants, to be able to respond to Jesus as Lord. In every facet of your life. Now this, this also helps us understand the word revelation. This is what, we could have a discussion about this word for a long time. Depending on who you ask, this word can mean all sorts of different things. But here's what, it's, here's what Paul's meaning. We cannot possibly respond to who Jesus is unless we can see him. And who does that? Not you. Who gives me the ability to see Jesus in all of his glory and might? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who discloses. The Spirit of God is the one who reveals, who shows us who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit. If you want to know what the scriptures say about the Holy Spirit, he is the ultimate sight giver. He removes the blinders. He lifts up the veil. But again, don't forget where we are. Don't forget who we're talking about. These are people who, have, that's already happened. Paul is saying, Paul's not saying here that the Ephesians need the Spirit to reveal Jesus from scratch. Like they don't, they can't see him. They, they do see him. They already believe in him. They, he's already done that in their lives. What Paul is praying for here is that the Spirit will show even more of Jesus. Paul is praying for depth, that the Spirit will take already revealed truths about Jesus and more deeply impressed them upon our hearts. Now let me give you an example of this. There, is, there, is it possible to know something but not know all of something? Absolutely. You can see something maybe dimly. You can see something maybe in a little bit. Classic examples is if you have a magnifying glass on the leg of an elephant and all of a sudden you back up and say, whoa, that's an elephant. Same thing is happening with God, with God, the Father, the Son and the Spirit. Another example was, maybe the Spirit has shown you, sometime in your spiritual life and in your walking with Jesus, that, that Jesus is holy, that he's holy. You know and you've experienced Him as a perfect and unique uh, and separate person. He's, he's, he's utterly u- unique, but then there came this moment, maybe and, and I would almost undoubtedly say, through the time, your time in the scriptures where you more fully understand and saw Jesus is holy and most likely the reaction was you drop, you tremble before the holiness of Jesus because God has in that moment expanded your knowledge of Jesus. The spirit deepened your sight of the holy Christ. See that kind of progression that you see more and more and more and more of him is what Paul is praying for. He's praying for people who already know Jesus to know him way more because you can never exhaust the depths of Christ. If you think you understand him, get back in the word and get to know him more. Paul is praying that the Spirit will enable us to excavate and dig out and mine for the wonders of God. And it is the Spirit who does this. It is the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. So we see that wisdom is living according to Jesus' lordship over all things. And revelation is seeing more of Jesus. What Paul is praying for is that the spirit would grant us more, bigger, greater, grander sight of Jesus. So let me apply this. This is why praying for the spirit's help is crucial in our time in the Bible. The very center for us of God's ongoing speech. God is speaking right now and he's speaking through this book. We will not hear him, we will not understand him, and we will not be able to respond to him unless we beg for the Spirit's help. See verse 17 here in Ephesians 1 is actually a great verse to pray before you open your Bibles in the morning. God, I am begging you, that you would give me your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. If we pray that as we walk into the scriptures every morning, we will under, he will answer that prayer. He will grant us more understanding in who he is. We, we are people who have already seen who Jesus is, but we need help. We need to continue to pray that this light would grow even brighter. Okay, so wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, Paul doesn't leave us there, though. Not only does he tell us about the Spirit's work doing these things, he gives us specific examples to help us. So, verse 17, let's read the whole thing again. That the, His prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And here we go. That you may know, so remember, more of God, knowing more of Jesus, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Okay, so right there, Paul lines out three things for us. This is the content of Paul's prayer requests. You see three prayer requests, and I want to tackle each other of them very briefly. Okay, so number one, we see that Paul wants them to more deeply know the hope of God's call on our lives. Paul's prayer for you and for me is that we would more deeply know the hope of God's call on our lives. Now, this is extremely relevant for today. Listen to this. This is going to be a little philosophical. Can Can you dig it for a second? Hope only matters if what you're hoping in matters. You with me? Hope only matters if what you're hoping in matters. If you hope in me, you will lose hope because I'm not worthy of your hope. Same thing in in any relationship. If I place hope in another person, my hope will eventually fail because that person is not worthy of my hope. And we we need to connect this to what we're doing in one county east of us, in Bay County, in Southport, as a body as a church, as we serve these people, their hope has been smashed. But we are in a very dangerous position to where we cannot accidentally convince them that we are their hope. We are not worth their hope. We will fail them, probably soon. We will somehow mess it up. We cannot be the location of another person's hope. Where does hope belong? Where is hope? long-lasting, eternal hope come from? Jesus Christ. He says the hope of God's call. It says the hope here uh, to which he has called you. The simplest way to translate it is the hope of his calling. What is he talking about? What is this call of God? What what is Paul speaking about? Well, Romans chapter 8 is one place where it's really helpful for us, and it connects us back to the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 1 Paul says this in another letter those whom God predestined he also called there's that word those whom God predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified so let me unpack this a little bit in this case the call of God is that moment when election becomes active The call of God is when God's election bears fruit and I can now see election in front of me. I know that God has chosen a man or a woman to be his child and now I see it in their lives. They are bearing fruit of their election. That is what the call of God is. This is why celebrating God's wonderful and eternal work in salvation is so important. Our hope stands not because we willed ourselves to believe in Jesus, but because He called us. That's where my hope stands. If my hope rests in my response to Jesus, I will let myself down again. But if my hope rests in God's calling on my life before the clock was even ticking, my hope will never die. We have to put our hope in the right place or it'll fail. take away the call of God you take away the hope that the Christian has oh what certainty there is for God's people not because we chose him but because he chose us but listen that's what so that's what Paul's talking about but listen he's praying for this he's praying for this why because it's possible even probable For a believer to be saved and yet be missing out on the hope of your call. You hear me? There is a way to believe in Jesus, apparently. There is a way to believe in Jesus and yet lose hope in God's promises in your life. Life will do this to you. Sin will do this to you. Circumstances and sin will fight for your hope. But Paul is begging that God the Spirit would lead us out of those traps. Paul is saying, it is foolish to place your hope anywhere else other than in God's eternal call in your life. So what are you hoping in right now? This, the grit, the, how, do, how do you answer that question? What right now causes you to lose anxiety? That's a test. That's a barometer of where your hope is. Whatever, when you're thinking right now, okay, if this, this and that happened, my anxiety would, di- would disappear there's your hope. If my anxiety in my everyday life goes away because of God's call, when he said, Josh, you're mine, if that's what takes my anxiety away, then I I know that my hope is in him. That's the big difference. That's a practical way to think about hope. What crushes anxiety in your life? Is it God or is it something else that is filling that up? Whatever that other thing is, God help us because that's idolatry. Okay. So first, to, to deeply know the hope of God's call. Now number two, to deeply know the wealth of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. I love this one because Paul is essentially saying we are God's people. Here, we, and Pastor David talked about this too, uh, two weeks ago where inheritance can be thought of in two ways. God is my inheritance, I have an inheritance, but it's the other direction too. God inherits me. That means that he possesses me. He owns me. He bought me with a price. That is the gospel. That there is, there is a debt hanging over my head and I can do nothing about it. So what did God do? He sent his son to die for me and Jesus snatched my debt from me. And because of that debt being gone, the beautiful, I mean, world-shaking earth shattering reality of the gospel is that i can be a child of the god who deserves to condemn me that's the gospel of jesus christ if i if he will be so kind to reveal my sin i repent of that sin i trust in jesus finished work on the cross of jesus christ and the, resurrecting out of the grave i am a child of god he owns me first corinthians six nineteen. john calvin summarizes the entire christian life with christ bought you christ bought you Now give your life over to the one who bought you. So God has done this wonderful work in us. And Paul is saying bask in that. Enjoy that. And notice how he describes it. Riches. Wealth. God is abundant in his possession of us. God is abundant in his keeping of us. Look how King David describes it. In Psalm 36, I love this. How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the rivers of your delight. All of these explosive, overflowing sorts of words. The riches of God are for his people so that we might delight in being his child. That is what Paul is begging God to do for us. Does that make sense? We can go throughout this life and totally miss the pouring out lavish love of God for us. And Paul is begging God to not let that happen to the Ephesians and not let that happen to us. We should be drinking up. We should be filling up with the wonders of God. So therefore, it is possible, even probable, to lose sight of of God's possession of us, his inheritance of us. So so let me ask, what what would be the issue there? What's the risk? What's the risk if I forget that I belong to God? What's the risk if you forget on a daily basis that you belong to him, that you are his child? Well, it's very simple. We will go searching for other places to belong. We'll go find other people to be loved by. When the riches of God's love poured out for us are not enough, we end up looking in other places to be loved. When we forget that God has made us his legacy, we will go searching to make a legacy of our own. That is dangerous and Paul is calling it foolish because remember the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. When I truly see what God has done for me to claim me as as his own and if I see it and I respond to it, I am wise. If I see it, and disregard it, I am a fool. That is what Paul is praying for. That wisdom to re- adequately respond to the truth that I am God's son or daughter. Okay, so number two, to deeply know the wealth. And now number three, to deeply know the unrivaled power of God for us. To deeply know the unrivaled power of God for us. Read with me verse 19. That we may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ just really briefly here paul uses just about right there just about every greek word that you could possibly think of for power you see that immeasurable greatness power working great might worked he's doing all these words that talk it's basically they're all synonyms around each other paul is trying to make it as wide and as massive as possible that God's power is toward us he's reminding believers not just to not just to know that God is powerful but that his power is was and and always is directed to us verse 20 tells us how God worked his power in Christ see the power of God for believers begins and ends with Jesus God directed all of his power into the person and work of Jesus. And because you and me are united to Jesus by faith, we benefit from that power. We see this in verse 20. He worked in Christ when, and now look at what Paul does. He lays a laundry list of God's power through Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all See, this is incredible god's power paul is finding areas he's finding examples of where God's power has been expressed. We see it, the resurrection, see that in verse 20? We see it in in Christ's exaltation or his ascension into heaven. And then number three, we see it as Christ's headship or or rule over the church. And each one of these does something to me. It does something for me. So so let me ask this. First one is, is Christ's resurrection. Why does Christ's being alive, Why does Christ being raised from the dead even matter? Well, the Bible tells us it has the power to change us. It has the power to change us. Romans 6, 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the resurrection of Jesus is God's proof of his power over sin and death. Through Jesus' eternal life, I now have a new life. I have resurrection power. The old ways are dead. I am a new creation. Because of God's power in the resurrection, I can kill sin and walk in holiness. God's power went out through the resurrection for for us to receive it through a power-filled, spirit-filled, sin-killing, holiness-loving life. Okay, so that's number one, the resurrection. Number two is, sec, uh, is Christ's exaltation or his ascension. Here we see Christ has the power to keep us. So number one, Christ has the power to change us. Here we see that Christ has the power to, to keep us. The Bible speaks very clearly about, about this. Back to Romans chapter 8. Christ Jesus right now is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. This is one of the most overlooked doctrines in the Bible that right now Christ is at the right hand and he's interceding for us. Okay, Hebrews 9.24 kind of explains this a little bit more. Hebrews 9 says, Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands but Christ has entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for our behalf. When Christ ascended into heaven, it's not like his job was over so he's like, you know, okay, I'm uh, raised from the dead, I'm done. God is right now doing something for you he's praying for you Jesus is praying for his bride as our high priest as our mediator as the one who is the go-between with God and us Jesus is securing and he is maintaining constantly our status before God nothing will convince God to let go of us as his children and notice how Paul describes this he seated him way up there, far above everything else. No power, no ruler, nothing can touch your status before God. Jesus is high, he is exalted, he is great, and because of that, we are secure too. So God, by raising his, father to the, or by raising his son uh, at the right hand of the Father, secures us. Jesus is interceding to make sure that you don't fall away from him. That's what he's doing right now. He's making sure that your conversion moment lasts. That as a Christian, you will stay a Christian. That's what Jesus is doing for us right now. So imagine if he wasn't doing that. Imagine if Jesus raised up from the dead and left it up to you to be faithful to him. I would fail. I would fail. I fail every day. But Christ is the one who comes in on my behalf and keeps me faithful. Through his blood sacrifice and his intercession for me. Praise God for the exaltation of Jesus. And our last one, we see that is Christ's headship over the church. Paul describes it that God gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. And this is the power to direct us. So Christ has the power to change us, to keep us, and now we see the power to direct us. One of the great and powerful things that God did in Christ was give him as our head. What does that mean? It'll be a really important word in the book of Ephesians, but it means our chief, our leader, our general. God didn't just save us and then leave us alone as sheep without a shepherd, but God gave us the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who will commission and empower the church to be his vessel in the world. Do you know this? That as a Christian, you've been given a monumental task to spread the gospel to every people group on the planet? And did you know that if Jesus Christ wasn't our chief shepherd, we would never get even close? So we have the blessing of the power of God in Christ as our head. God gave his son to us so that we might accomplish the task of making disciples everywhere. So we can do it. The Great Commission is possible because Christ conquered the grave, is seated up there, and is our head over us. He is the ultimate pastor, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate leader, the ultimate guide. And so if I, and I do, have fear in making disciples, it's because I've lost sight of my head. I've lost sight of my Jesus. I've lost sight of my shepherd. God, Paul is begging God to remind the Ephesians that Jesus is the chief shepherd over them and that would empower them to obedience amongst all the nations. Paul's prayer is that the Ephesians like you and me will know all of these things more and more and more. That we will meditate on it. That we stake our lives upon it. Paul is praying that God would send his spirit to us every hour to borrow Pastor Carey's phrase that we might be overwhelmed and overjoyed in Christ, leading to godly wisdom and an evil age. This is Paul's prayer, and it is ours. This is all one big prayer, and if I could sum it up and way oversimplify it, this is, this is what Paul's praying for. Father, help me know you more. It is the simplest, but perhaps the most productive prayer for your spiritual, individual, devotional life. Father, help me know you more. So my question for us today would be, does the prayer describe me? Does this, pr- a- a- where in here am I falling short? Is, it, is my hope in the wrong place? Have I forgotten God's wealth of riches, of love and inheritance? And Do I doubt God's power? Where is, th- where is this inconsistent? Do I even want to know God more? Is that even an interest in my heart right now? Do you give a rip about knowing God more? That's a hard question to ask. And if it's no. Pray. What a frustrating answer from a pastor. Pray. You want to be more evangelistic? Pray. Pray. Pray that God would make you more evangelistic. You, you keep on forgetting about the hope that God, that the hope that, you're, that you ought to have in in God's call in your life. Pray. Lord, please send me Your Spirit today to remind me of the hope that I have in the heavens. That's that's, that's the power of prayer. And he's faithful to do it. Another way to ask this question is, am I living wisely as Paul would define it? Have I put off Jesus' lordship in certain areas of my life? Totally unimportant. No longer shaping me. And my challenge for us today is super simple, and I hope very concrete. Every time you open the Bible, This week, every time you open the Bible this week, spend time, minutes, reading this scripture, praying it over your time in the Word. That the Spirit would come and help you understand Jesus. Ask the Spirit to teach you more about God in the text that you might be reading that day. Ask Him for help. He is faithful. And I wonder if many times. Our confusion in the word simply comes from not asking the author of the word to show us the truth. So if we ask him, like a child would ask a father for bread, if we ask the father, please send me your spirit so that I might understand, he will do it. Praise God. Our prayer this week is Father, help me know you more. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this, this word. Thank you for this prayer. I surely did not exhaust it. There is much here that is left here. Help us understand it. Even on the back end. I prayed all week that you would help us understand it on the front end. But now, Lord, as it's gone and as it's so tempting to just wash it away and never think about it again, I, I do pray over our flock that you would keep it in our minds. That you would remind us of how important it is to kneel and depend upon you to understand the Bible. That if we want to see more of Jesus, we have to beg the Spirit to show us. Help us lean in that way. Strengthen us, Father, in your name. Amen. Amen. So as the band comes uh, to lead us in music, I want to transition us now into a time of communion, where we respond to the gospel that we hear. And so if you are a Christian, I welcome you to come up to this table and, and take part in the bread and in the cup. This is a symbol that Christians have been doing since Jesus was alive, which is so cool. Jesus did this, set the example for us that we are to dine with him, we are to commune with him, we are to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Uh, and so if you are a believer, we ask you you come row by row, walking that way, outside, taking the bread, dipping it into the cup, and walking through here in the middle. And if you are not a Christian, we ask you to abstain from that. Uh, practice this is for believers. Uh, it, it is, and it, what it is, it's a security for us as believers. And so if you feel right now that we are pushing you away, we want you to know the reason is because Jesus is something you must respond to. This gospel that he died to take away your sins is something you have to say, I give my life to it. you're unwilling to do that we want to be very cautious that we don't welcome you to something that would actually damage your faith or damage your ability to believe so please if you are not a christian abstain from this moment and if you are hungry for jesus you want to know who he is you want to be a disciple of jesus want to follow him please have a conversation with me i would love to talk to you about who jesus is and what he's done for you Uh, and if lastly if you are a a brother or sister a believer here in jesus that and you currently are at odds with another believer Uh, we, we pray that you would make that right and abstain from this moment as well. And then as we're all finished and ready to go, we will partake together. Father, prepare our hearts.